This is Geeks and Jacks. Switch Online, potentially in a couple days. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Now this weekend, or this past weekend, I should say, uh, pretty good with the Avatar movie, because it reached past $2 billion. I believe it was number one again, so another... Fifth or sixth weekend now, which is didn't have too big of a drop though, going from thirty plus mil to just over twenty million. Actually, a couple of movies I'm surprised doing decent. So as it stands right now, Avatar is nearing six hundred million and should easily have done that yesterday, reached that number. Over 1.4 billion, over 2 billion in general. And one of the stories being brought up just a tiny bit is one of its stars, uh, Zoe Saldana. I think that's how you say her last name. Four movies with $2 billion grosses. Pretty impressive. I'm thinking the other two are Avenger movies. Because she is part of the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, films. Pretty impressive. Uh, so this should make maybe a small profit, I would imagine, this Avatar sequel. So far, so good. Uh, number two. Not a huge drop, but Puss in Boots making close to $12 million. Some good legs going on, considering there aren't many kids' films out. Sitting comfortably near $300 million worldwide, over 127 domestic, and just hitting 171 internationally. I wonder if people were kind of skeptical based on the initial Christmas weekend opening. But probably one of the better performances out of DreamWorks in recent years. Uh, number three, Megan. So, kind of a big drop in its third weekend, but still reasonable enough to make $9.7 million over the weekend. Sitting comfortably at $125 million, uh, worldwide. 73, almost 74 domestic, 51 internationally. And 
there's going to be a sequel coming out at some point in 2025. So they're definitely banking on that substantially. Uh, number four, this uh, brand new movie, Missing, making 9.1 uh, million over the weekend, nearing 10 million. Actually, kind of curious to see what the budget would be for that. Can't be that big. Uh, missing movie budget. Let's see what we got here. Oh, it already made its money already. $7 million budget. That uh, kind of was expecting maybe double. But maybe the way it's f- filmed, it you know, should make a decent amount of uh, profit. Uh, number five, A Man Called Otto. 8.8 million over the weekend. Worldwide, it definitely passed its budget. 36 million domestic right now, and another 20 million internationally. I'm sure, probably in some places, it'll be looked at kind of as a flop. But altogether, should do okay whenever it finishes its run in theaters and, you know, when it gets on streaming or DVD. Number uh, six, Plane, that new Gerard Butler movie. That made a little over $5 million, sitting at $21 million, uh, worldwide, most of it being domestic, nearing 20 mil and a little over 1.4 million internationally. Number seven, House Party. Believe, nope, still in 1,400 theaters. That's not all that great for being kind of a limited release in a way. But then again, none of the House Party movies have done well at all. By the way, uh, these these numbers are from BoxOfficeMojo.com. Forgot about that. My apologies. So sitting at almost 7.4 million altogether. Can't imagine the reception being great, but not horrible. If I had to figure, but still, it's got to be disappointing, especially when you have LeBron James producing it. Whatever. Number eight, another new movie. That time I got reincarnated as a slime, the movie. Is that one of those anime movies? Yep, it is. It made... What's the numbers again? Almost 1.6 million over the weekend. Did this... I'm assuming it's a weekend-only thing. Which is weird. There's been like a bit of an upsurge in anime movies coming out and doing well their first weekend and then teetering off by the second or third weekend. I mean, anime kind of has been more accepted now these days, I would think. Regardless, uh, maybe this is something that they wanted to try for a weekend and 
got what they wanted, give the fans, you know, something to see on the big screen. I don't know. I mean, anime is, I would think, more acceptable, or maybe there's still some taboo to it, if I had to assume. Altogether, 11 million. I don't know how cheap or expensive the budget is for this movie. I can't imagine that much. Uh, number nine, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Uh, 1.3 plus million. Still holding on for dear life, and making its way over 450 million right now, and a little over 388. 840 million worldwide. Actually, I'll talk about Marvel in a second after uh, talking the last of the uh, movie releases. Um, Top 10 at least. And number 10, The Whale. At 1.2 million, almost 1.3. I believe this expanded to more theaters uh, over... Not too many. It expanded to 1,500 uh, last week. And expanded just a tiny bit more. Uh, over the weekend. To almost 1,600 theaters. I don't know if it's just like a slow release or something. Or if there's going to be more and more expansion into theaters. Regardless. Uh, nearing 14 million Nope, not even close. Uh, 13.2 million altogether worldwide. Yeah, that's the uh, week weekend box office from last weekend. So as far as what's coming out... Well, let's see. Got some limited releases coming out the next couple of days. Uh, Pathen, which I believe is out today... Indian Spy takes on... Is that supposed to be an action thriller? Yep. Kind of has a... Looks like a... John Wick or like James Bond type of... Type of film. Or maybe a different type of... Action film. Judging by the poster of it. Probably won't do well here. Though some people... Could like a good action film that isn't your typical mold of it. Then tomorrow, Gandhi Gatsi Ikyud. Uh, that's the fictional world where Gandhi survives the attack on him. Uh, is this one of those like fantasy? They say dra- drama history, but I mean. Why alter it? And the other left behind, Rise of the Antichrist. Is this a documentary? It doesn't say. But basically, the only light after the world falls into chaos is a charming new leader who rises to the head of the UN. But does he bring hope for a better future, or is it the end of the world? Is this one of those doomsday bullshit type of of films. Now there's three movies that are coming out Friday 
for a nationwide release. Starting with... Oops, wrong one. Starting with Distant. Follows an asteroid miner who, after crash landing, looks like a fantasy sci-fi comedy drama. Seems like it'd be interesting, though I'm not sure it will do well. Fear is the other wide release. A much-needed getaway and a celebration weekend turns to a nightmare due to the contagious airborne. Th- oh yeah, this should probably do well enough. Different type of horror movie. Should do reasonably okay. And the other, Infinity Pool. Come on. I'll talk about the small set of limited releases. Just very briefly mention them by name. Another horror movie. All-inclusive beastification in the fictional island of La Tolka. Villa accident exposes the resort's perversive subculture, hedonistic tourism, reckless violence, and surreal horrors. That'll probably scar some people. Horror, mystery, sci-fi thriller. And a few other limited stuff before next weekend. Along with like a re-release of couple movies including Groundhog Day which turns 30 in a little bit and A Difficult Life so speaking of Marvel for the time being there is a lift on a ban in China so now some of these Marvel movies will come out in that region Let's see what there is. 2023 Marvel movies. So, The Marvels is coming out this year. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will be out. And coming very soon is that Ant-Man sequel. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. So yeah, this is coming out the weekend of the Super Bowl. Well, weekend after the Super Bowl. So, yeah. I don't think it'll get a big boost in China. I don't think the Marvels would either. But I imagine Guardians would. Everybody now these days loves the Guardians of the Galaxy. And for this to potentially be like the last hurrah of the Guardians if they are still doing stuff with the Marvel cinematic crap, I'd imagine I'd imagine it, this would be the one film to make a billion dollars. I know, I think it was Doctor Strange came close out of the few that came out uh, last year. Black Panther, you know, $840 million worldwide, that's pretty good. But Disney definitely is struggling immensely. 
curious to see how much of a profit they made off of some of these comic book movies because their animated stuff were major flops last year. Especially Lightyear. Movie gone a different direction and no one beyond just some of the political and humor stuff, it didn't convince people that this was the reason Andy wanted a toy. Something probably will change at some point for Disney, but they better figure it out quick, otherwise it's going to look like another bad year for the company. So, moving on, going to sports, talk mostly football, had four divisional games. Now, I don't think anyone expected the Jacksonville Jaguars and New York Giants to get that far, but, you know, give them them praise for at least getting far, with both of them losing to Kansas City and Philadelphia, respectively. Jaguars, 27-20 loss to Kansas City. Trevor Lawrence, not not exactly greatest of games. 217, one touchdown, one pick. Travis Etienne ran for 60-plus and a score. Uh, one of the biggest downfalls, unfortunately, was a fumble by Agnew late in the game. Could have made the stakes a little better. And defense... Couldn't really stop the Chiefs. Pat Mahomes, 195, two scores. They did have Chad Henney in because of an ankle injury of Mahomes. So I'd be curious to see how that goes for the championship game. If he can play well under pain. Uh, Pacheco, 95 yards rushing on 12 carries. They did use McKinnon a little bit, uh, 25 yards, but 11 carries. Travis Kelsey leading the way in touchdowns, 98 yards on 14 catches, two scores. And Valdez Scantling, the only one with with a touchdown as well. Otherwise, no one really got the ball much. The next closest is Kadarius Toney, 5 for uh, 36. Defense getting to Lawrence and, and Watson with the uh, interception. Yeah, the turnovers played the big factor, but give give the Jaguars credit for turning their season around. Give them huge credit. And Chiefs get to enjoy a home game at Arrowhead. Now, I don't think anyone expected New York to win, but blowout loss, 38-7. Jones didn't bear all that great, only one pick. Uh, 135. They needed to give the ball more to Barkley. 61 yards rushing. Only 9 carries. The touchdown being from Matt Breida. A wildcat formation. So I'm willing to bet there were some betters that made some big money on that. Really, the only big receiver was Richie James. Defense didn't really get to Jalen Hurts that much. He didn't have a great game himself, but two touchdowns thrown, which is commendable. 154, and he ran for a score, too. Uh, Gainwell led the way with 112, and everyone wants to call Boston Scott the giant killer. 
I wouldn't call him that. One game he had where where you could call him that. I think Philadelphia is misusing the guy. If they if they really feel confident in using him in Gainwell, then I'll explain that uh, with regards to the championship game. And the receiving game wasn't huge either, but Goddard and Smith with 50-plus yards receiving each and scores. A.J. Brown didn't even have a good game either. They didn't really throw it to anyone else, and that's why I don't feel confident in Philly as being a good team, or at least a team that represents the Super Bowl. Of course, the defense did its job. I mean, were there any other were there any fumbles or anything in that game? Just one pick. But give credit where credit's due. I mean, Giants were just, were one of the most surprising teams this year, and both of them and the Jaguars should definitely uh, make an impact heading into the 2023 season. One team I'm not so confident in is Buffalo. A 27-10 loss to Cincinnati. And this is a couple weeks after the DeMar Hamlin injury. One of the big factors that plays into it is, I mean, the fact that Joe Burrow and the Bengals are a big threat and the fact that they've been on a huge winning streak since October. Burrow, 242, two scores. Joe Mixon had a really good game, 105 and a score. Jamar Chase had a score. Hurst receiving touchdown. Spreading the ball around. Defense getting to Allen when they needed to. Or forcing, like, big pressure. Allen, 265 and a pick. And he he ran for a score. That's the only touchdown. That's, That's shocking. The run game being so abysmal. The fact that he led the way in, in rushing 26 yards. The next closest, 24 by Singletary. James Cook, 13. Dawson Knox leading the way, 65 yards receiving. Diggs only 35. Gabe Davis, 34. Beasley, 33. Defense couldn't do much against Burrow. How do you explain Buffalo? I mean, it's one thing to expect some change when you lose coordinators at times. But it's mostly the same roster. How how does one explain that? Or is the run game so bad in Buffalo that it's easy for teams like Cincinnati. And let's not forget, Josh Allen was basically having two, three turnovers a game, like in a row, every, for like a good while. This team, I don't know if they'll be on the decline, but they should still be a threat to the AFC. A matter of, you know, just the health of their defense. Because there were some big hits late in the game. I mean, you don't have Poyer or uh, was it White? I forget what which guy it was getting hurt late in the game. 
you know, get their team healthy and boost the run game. Gotta, I don't know if they should get a running back in the draft or not. So, Kansas City and Cincinnati are the late game on Sunday. And another year, another disappointing Dallas season. 19-12, San Francisco winning another game against Dallas in the playoffs. Second year in a row. The run game being that atrocious. And it didn't help that Tony Pollard had a leg injury and is going to have surgery. Dak Prescott, 206, one touchdown, two picks. Those came pretty early in the game. Elliott ran for 26 yards. Pollard had 22 prior to his injury. C.D. Lamb led the way, 117 yards uh, receiving. Dalton Schultz, a touchdown on 27 yards. The rest barely did anything. Uh, Brock Purdy, no touchdowns, no picks, but 214. Eli Mitchell, 51 yards rushing. McCaffrey did have a touchdown in the game. Rushing 35 uh, yards. George Kittle, big game, 95 yards receiving. Debo Samuel had 45. Jennings and Ayuk, 26 each. And McCaffrey caught the ball six times for 22. As far as defense goes, not really any sacks, but fumble loss by San Fran, two interceptions by Dallas. Uh, how do you explain the last play of the game? I don't know if that play, you should blame it on Kellen Moore or Mike McCarthy. But dumb formation, dumb throw, and just getting pelted. Oh my goodness, I mean... Uh, Elliot got pancaked after snapping the ball to, to Prescott. So this goes into another year where you wonder, is Mike McCarthy's job safe? Is this going to be like the Jason Garrett type stuff? Where Garrett does okay or really good, and then the question comes from Jerry Jones. Well, goes to Jerry about the coaching situation. I mean, so far... Two out of three years, they've been in the playoffs. However, given McCarthy's history of losing in some of these big playoff games, whether it's during his time in Green Bay or in right now in Dallas, it is just a disaster. I don't know how big of a contract he has left to coach Dallas. I would say... Jerry Jones might give him a couple more years and then give him the boot. I can't imagine him surviving through most of the decade in Dallas. I can't imagine that. Shifting gears quickly to baseball. I didn't even know they were doing the uh, Hall of Fame stuff. But Scott Rowland, third baseman who played for 17 years, Hall of Fame. He'll be joining Fred McGriff as the only guys to get in this year. I'll have to look at the 
ballot and see who's on there. Because I know there were some good ones. 17 years in the league, won a World Series with St. Louis in 06. Seven-time All-Star, played for Philly in 96. Went to St. Louis in the middle of 02. Spent another five-plus years with them. Toronto in 08, and then went to Cincinnati midway through 09. Spent his final three years after 09 with Cincinnati. 2,077 uh, hits, 517 in doubles, 316 home runs, 1,287 RBIs, with a 281 career average. Silver Slugger in 02, 1, 2, 3, seven-time Gold Glove winner. So probably part of it plays into defense, especially when you think about the... Uh, third baseman probably being one of the tougher jobs to have when any of the balls you know roll up onto the dirt make some of those tough plays to first I want to see who was on the 2023 MLB Hall of Fame ballot there were a lot Let's get a look. So, here's some of the others. Todd Helton, few percent shy. I imagine he would get in. I mean, he was one of the biggest faces of Colorado for a long time. Billy Wagner, that guy was a really good save guy, real closer for Houston. Andrew Jones... I'm not sure I'd call him a Hall of Famer. Definitely a good player, particularly when he was with Atlanta, but never really thought of him as one. Gary Sheffield, 55%. I don't know. I feel like there's been some allegations on him with steroids, but he does have a World Series, I believe, with Florida back in 97. Carlos Beltran... I'd like to think he would get in, but the cheating scandal, I'm not sure he ever gets in. I'm going to look for other other people. Uh, Jeff Kent, not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Other notables include Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, Omar Vizquel, Andy Pettit, Bobby Abreu. I think with based on the steroid stuff, I can't imagine A-Rod or Ramirez getting in. Fiskel, kind of, I kind of think he was a mediocre player. Andy Pettit, I don't know. I mean, closed out 9 in every round, but. Toy Hunter, I don't know on that either. I would think Francisco, it's, it's a completely bloated ballot right now. So these are the guys that receiving less than 5%. Bronson Arroyo, R.A. Dickey, yeah, I could see that. John Lackey, I don't think his stats were all that great. Napoli, Huston Street, Matt Kane, yeah, these guys, are. I wouldn't really consider them Hall of Famers. Same with Jacoby Ellsbury, Andre Ethier, Johnny, Johnny Peralta, Jared Weaver, Jason Worth. Yeah, I mean, either these guys had some controversies tied to them or something else occurred to where... 
they're not considered Hall of Famers. Hard to tell. Hard to really tell. I mean, as far as some other baseball stuff, I know that Rafael Devers staying with Boston, Trey Mancini going to Chicago to be a Cub. Hard telling, not knowing. Moving on to TV, cartoons, if you will. Uh, There's been some stuff going on over the last couple of weeks regarding Justin Roiland. Roiland is the co-creator of Rick and Morty, and he voices the title characters. He's done some other stuff over the last few years. However, uh, he was arrested back in 2020 on a domestic violence charge, or multiple, I believe, and they're felony charges, so this could be some serious impact to him, and the news of it came to light about a week or two ago, and now Adult Swim has decided to cut ties with Royland. Although, they are still going to continue Rick and Morty. They're going to look for someone else or some other people to voice the title characters. I would like to say innocent until proven guilty, but as more of this allegation stuff comes to light, there are people bringing up direct messages, and while you don't want to say that he can be a domestic abuser. It don't look it, it don't look good altogether. And this is part of a like a weird set of weeks going on in, in Hollywood. I think that's the big thing I could say, just to piggyback a tiny bit with with movies. I mean there's stuff going on regarding you know, domestic abuse sexual exploitation, exploitation of of actors, stuff happening to people behind the camera. Uh, just very briefly, you know, talking about movies just for a brief second. Uh, that movie Rust, that was supposed to be filmed about a year and a half ago. Uh, Alec Baldwin and the armor of that film being charged with involuntary manslaughter, a couple counts of it due to the fact that the cinematographer Helena Hutchins was shot and killed and the director of that movie also being shot but he's still alive a lot of it I think has to do with the fact that Baldwin failed as a producer in my opinion the movie even like talking about that well over a year ago on this podcast this the the crew walking off set the day of the shooting because of bad things happening during the production guns misfiring malfunctioning on set discharges it was not a safe environment and i think the way i look at it alec baldwin the actor i think will be okay alec baldwin the producer not so much and i could see charges sticking to him and the armorer but will they see jail time? I don't think so. And if Baldwin does, I can't imagine anything less than a year or less than two years. 
I, I, I'd imagine something will happen to where he is found guilty as a producer, not an actor. But the rule of firearm safety, and just assuming that for movies, always assume the gun is loaded. Even if they say no, assume they assume it is. I mean, it's still kind of being compared to what happened with the crow back in '93, with uh, Brandon Lee being fatally shot. Although I don't think that was like manslaughter or anything. I think it was just an accident. Something with like the someone with the bullet not working well or something, and unfortunately, it killed Brandon Lee. Fun fact about that movie, uh, Chad Stileski, however you say his last name, the guy that directed the John Wick movies, stunt double, and took over whatever remaining scenes they had to do uh, with Lee's character. Found that interesting. Uh, but regardless, uh, Baldwin, I-, I could see him being charged, but I don't see him spending any time in jail, and if he does, probably a very short amount of time. But anyway, back to uh, Royland. You know, you see more of this coming out in the media regarding domestic stuff, sexual exploitation, and some of this other stuff. I mean, given the content of his stuff, it's pretty questionable, and what you might find funny may not be the case for the others. I'm not going to say too much because I don't really watch Rick and Morty. I mean, I find some stuff that is funny, and I find the characters to be interesting to some capacity, but I'm not really a big fan of the show, and I'm not sure I'd want to associate being a fan compared to some of the fans that have gone crazy over the years because of it. But there's no way that that show is getting canned. Not until they try and finish up whatever remaining seasons they can, if popularity is still there for the show. And there's been some documentaries and stuff going on regarding the dangers of what goes on in Hollywood. One of these is called Pretty Baby, the Brooke Shields story. And you hear more stories about now these days regarding child exploitation and stuff like that. I mean, this is some pretty pretty bad stuff going on. I mean, it and this comes off the heels of a late 60s movie of Romeo and Juliet by by Paramount. And the two actors that played the title characters suing Paramount for exploitation of them for like a couple of nude scenes or something, doing like the nudity, probably without consent or anything. I don't think the two actors are going to have a chance in court. I don't think. I mean, I think it's a long shot for them to win anything. But I think it could open up to other stuff. Hence the stuff with this 
Sundance thing going on with, with Pretty Baby. I mean, this is... I mean, in regards to Shields. I mean, and this actually involves the uh, same director, surprisingly, <laughs> who did uh, Romeo and Juliet. Also... Uh, did Endless Love another Shields movie it's just you see this more and more with people opening up talking about what it's like to grow up on set and have certain things happen during a production and that's the what sounds like and also some revealing stuff regarding Shields's mother who basically used her for for these awful awful things such as being on Playboy at 10 years old I believe that was like slashfilm.com that from their article on that just, ugh. How can you do that to your own... How can you do that to your own kid? I mean... I mean, that's the thing. Parents are sometimes the managers of their kids. And they can dictate how a movie goes if their kid is in it or not in it. Or use them for personal gain, or use them for something. It's it's not a, it's not a good subject, but you know, I mean, I hope it opens the door because I wouldn't be surprised if there's some stuff over the course of the last forty five, fifty years of how kids kids are used in, in movies in TV shows I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of dark stuff behind the scenes I'm not saying everything is a dark moment but can't imagine it's all sunshine and lollipops can't imagine that Moving on, lastly, to gaming. GoldenEye. GoldenEye, back in the summer, turned 25. And it's one of the biggest reasons for someone to own a Nintendo 64. Pretty surprising, it's not. So, this game has been... On that brink of of being re-released, but obviously the license and whoever owns it for for 007, well, from all indications, as of today, it's going to come out on the 27th for both the Xbox and Switch. Now, I believe the Switch version is going to be the original game with online multiplayer 
For those wondering about the N64, one of its greatest assets was four controller ports. Playing four players in something like a Mario Kart 64, Smash Brothers, some of the sports games, some of the first-person shooters. It made for exciting times in the late 90s and early 2000s, and you can still do that today with some of those games. But obviously, cream of the crop, if it wasn't Mario Kart or Smash Brothers, more than likely, GoldenEye took the cake. Took the cake and ran away with it. As long as you weren't playing his eye job. <laughs> Get down here. <laughs> oh, man. GoldenEye, I think the single player is pretty good, too. At least there's some meat to it unlike Smash Brothers, which I think is more just multiplayer, and that's about it. Uh, Online multiplayer should be fun, but depends on how the lag is and everything. See if they fully implement it well, considering the Switch don't have the greatest online capabilities. This is, according to The Verge, using the original game engine. Microsoft making a faithful recreation, but standard local multiplayer. So, Xbox One uh, Series SX consoles and Xbox One will be able to access the GoldenEye 007 version. This was going to be one of the games that they talked about being on there campaign, cheats, so that's nice. If you own a digital copy of Rare Replay, GoldenEye is included free of charge. Part of Xbox Game Pass. Just make a make a physical copy. What's the worst that could happen? I would love to see Nintendo and Rare work together to and Microsoft put out a physical copy. I think it would make... With all the stuff being sold on the Switch and doing well from Nintendo, why not Why not do that? Put out a physical copy. What's the worst that can happen? It's like, you could put a game card on there, you, it doesn't even... Probably don't want to even take a gigabyte. And if it, if it does, probably a couple gigabytes. Should be fun. Should be really fun. Still, it kind of sucks with the local multiplayer only for Xbox. I mean, that's, I mean, that's prime real estate to do online multiplayer. Prime, prime multiplayer. Then again, it's kind of similar with Doom on all the platforms. It, it, it think about it. The Switch don't have online multiplayer for Doom. PS4 doesn't, Xbox One. If you want to play those, you gotta play split screen. I know PS4 you can do share play, but it depends on how good your internet quality is between you and the other's home. I mean, 360 and PS3 Dooms had online. I think you can still play online on them. As long as you got the PS3 Doom before they delisted it. Otherwise, you have to... Well, 
360 as well. Otherwise, you'd have to get Doom 3 BFG Edition. Which shouldn't be too expensive to get. Should, that should easily be like a $20 game you can easily buy. And speaking of game sales, just thinking that, The Last of Us. So far, the show adaptation on HBO Max is doing really, really well. And this is according to IGN from a couple days ago. Oh boy, this might be bigger than I than I thought. I think people want to actually play it, and there's a jump in UK sales for the game on PS4 and PS5. The PS5 remake of the first game, 238% jump in sales for the week of January 21st, and the remaster on PS4... 322% sales bump. That is... That is crazy. But still... I mean, it's... These are pretty old games for the most part. Although, with it being... The, the, the PS5 game being a remake. I mean, people have had their share of The Last of Us. So this shouldn't be a huge shock, but because there's other games people do want to play, and there's some original stuff that people want to play on PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, what have you. I mean, PS4 is kind of on its last legs anyway. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's still some stores that are selling um, The Last of Us. It's one of those games that has basically stuck on the shelf for a very, very long time. Game's been out since summer 2014 for PS4. So it's kind of in that same realm of a Mario game or GTA V for that matter. You can still find a copy for Xbox One or PS4. I know Microsoft, reading some stuff going on with them, some layoffs. And going straight to 343, which uh, is the guys that made... This is interesting. Forbes. Some high layoffs combined. Microsoft and Amazon laying off... 28,000 employees. Holy moly. And this is with the potential of a recession happening. I think this uh, Microsoft stuff regards to 343 and Bethesda. I know some people are not the highest on 343 because of how they've handled Halo. Regarding Bethesda, they haven't done anything over the course of the last two plus years since Microsoft bought ZMAX Media. The guys that have Bethesda and 
other companies such as id software their last big title was doom eternal back in march 2020 right around when the pandemic happened well started in the in the united states it disappoints me with the layoffs because Bethesda has been doing many stuff over the years and there hasn't been a new Doom in almost three years. There hasn't been a new Wolfenstein in three and a half. There hasn't been a new Fallout in over four years. There hasn't been a new Dishonored in five plus. I know there was Rage 2 and that came out, what, three plus years ago? Just me... I would like to see a Wolfenstein 3 or an Elder Scrolls 6. Kind of like how I want to see Rockstar have a GTA 6 out sometime within the next couple of years. I know games take a long time to get made, but I just want to see something out of Bethesda or machine games. I want to see I want to see Wolfenstein 3. I want to finish the story. It's just disappointing. And I know the games industry, there's a lot of layoffs regarding, like, game journalists. Let's take a look at that. Game journalists laid, laid off. I mean, I mean, there's a lot going on beyond just gaming. But, Places like GameSpot, Giant Bomb, like multiple, multiple sites losing, losing journalists, having to let them go and stuff. A lot. I think the biggest problem probably comes from how they handle things, people not trusting the media as much, agenda specifically, and just... Nobody really taking journalists really all that seriously. The way we hear things, the way some of them do like their fake outrage or like scripted type anger. You see that with TV a bit sometimes. Whether it's real or not, you, you, you judge. I think just some of the political beliefs and agenda, it's just... And just the fact that you know we're heading towards a recession, and maybe the way these companies bloat themselves into thinking they can do all this good and fool people—I don't know. Just not a good environment. What isn't a good environment either is the whole limited run thing, and the fact that the community manager that they fired a couple weeks back finally spoke out and definitely had a definitely had a lot to say in regards to just trying to find if there's anything there's really like only one thing I could find uh, spoke out uh, Carolyn 
the story basically saying she was looking to leave limited run regardless and the company being nice to her and giving her severance not sure how much people care about this but this this is from a website called clownfish tv couldn't really find anything else couldn't really find anything else just seemed like she was getting burnt out I wouldn't blame her because you're a community manager trying to take care of many things. Limited Run doesn't have the greatest positive reception in the world with selling games that are digital in a physical format. It just it wears you out. I mean, some people can handle one job for 30, 40 years. Some struggle to get to 10 years or anything of that matter. No, not looking to sue, not looking to get back at limited run, which is good, but she don't want the the co-owners to be attacked viciously, which easier said than done. Uh, very briefly, I'll mention the you know, while back this Carolyn talked about being excited for the new Hogwarts Legacy game and an LGBTQ uh, trans activist uh, tried digging up dirt on her and found like one questionable tweet from six, seven years ago. L- Limited Run uh, caters to the trans activist, basically lets the lets community manager go. Uh, so far, Limited Run's been radio silent and I think people have kind of forgotten now, but I think Limited Run is still afraid of hearing backlash. I think that's the biggest thing. They're afraid of potential backlash. I think they could curb the damage if they just issue an apology to Carolyn. What's the worst that could happen? You'll lose sales, but get in the good ground of of some people, not all, if you issue out a public apology and rip the trans activists for, for, for actions. Like, it, it, it's, I mean, this is, the trans activists is one of the most hated, uh, brony people, which is the little, my little pony fandom and just issue out that we're sorry we didn't mean to we're it, but as long as they stay silent limited runs going to keep struggling they'll keep struggling they need to do something quick otherwise enjoy having a bad 2023 so end it here as I said before this podcast is on anchor.fm you can also find us on Spotify Radio Public and Google Podcasts so down down in those places search for geeks and jocks plenty of content awaits so that is episode 139 this is Ryan Sullivan hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast stay safe stay protected take care of yourself take care everyone <laughs>